Hello and welcome to Speaking Startup, Missouri Business Alert's podcast covering the news and issues important to Missouri entrepreneurs. I'm Elliot Bowman and I'm joined by Suman Naishadam. Hey everyone. And Joe Cease. How's it going? On today's program, we set out to answer a question. Is the future of healthcare on your phone? We found that digital technology is not only the future, but a huge part of the present healthcare industry. We have interviews with healthcare entrepreneurs who are bringing what once could only be found at a doctor's office to your computer and mobile devices. We'll also speak with an industry expert about how the devices that have permeated every aspect of our lives are being used to bring innovation to Missouri's healthcare ecosystem. But first, we're checking out some headlines from the past week. Let's speak startup. The Kauffman Foundation is launching a capital access lab investment pipeline to address opportunity gaps among entrepreneurs in Kansas City and across the nation. The program is fueled by a $3 million investment, money that is expected to be distributed among five investment funds that will go towards underserved entrepreneurs. Starland News reported that 83% of entrepreneurs are ignored by traditional funding sources or underserved. And a brief disclosure here, the Coffin Foundation is a supporter of Missouri Business Alert. Capital Innovators, a St. Louis-based startup accelerator, announced the spring 2019 class at Venture Cafe. The class is a 17th group to go through the 12-week accelerator program so far. Capital Innovators switched things up this time around, selecting mainly St. Louis-founded companies instead of companies from outside the region like they've done in the past. The six St. Louis-based startups that will attend the program were selected from a pool of 300 applications from across the world. Last week, the Greater Kansas City Chamber of Commerce announced the 35-member list of incoming Centurions, including three people familiar with Kansas City's startup community. The Centurions is Casey's oldest development program. The new Centurions include John Kohler, product owner at RFP360 and Startup Weekend Organizer, David Gordon, business development officer at AltCap, and Courtney Windholse, COO at Proof and former One Million Cups Kansas City Organizer. The new Centurions will soon begin a two-year self-directed program designed to prepare emerging leaders across the Kansas City metropolitan area. A San Francisco debt collection startup is establishing an office in the Kansas City area and plans to hire 150 employees. True Accord utilizes AI as part of the debt collection process, Starland News reports. Our first guest is from Kansas City, where Suman spoke with Graham Dodge, the CEO of Sickweather. So, what is Sickweather? Sickweather says it's the world's only predictive hyperlocal illness data platform. That means users can look at a map of their city or town down to the street level to check for various kinds of sickness and illnesses the way you would use a weather app to check for rain. So how exactly does that work? Is the app data-driven? Where do they get their information from? Yeah, so SickWeather uses data collected from social media, third-party apps, and AI to predict illness rates up to 15 weeks in the future. Graham and I talked about how the app works and its evolution in the past eight years. To start off, could you tell us a little about how SickWeather started, where the idea came from, and why you felt it was important to pursue? Uh, yeah, so um, so SickWeather, I had the idea for SickWeather because I was sick with a stomach bug one day, and I just wanted to know if uh, it was food poisoning or if maybe there was a bug like norovirus going around. And just as a layperson, I you know, looking for that information. I couldn't find anything from my local public health department or from the CDC. And I happened to be on social media and I saw a friend of mine reporting the same symptoms. And that's when it occurred to me that social media actually provided that sort of real-time census 
on uh, health, on health trends, because, you know, essentially that's where people would go to complain about, you know, whatever their uh, sickness was. Um, and I happen to know through previous experience in doing data aggregation, and um, I had worked with crime data in the past, that uh, if, we could, if we could geolocate those reports, then we would have the ability to map and forecast the spread of illness. How do you leverage data for the sick score that sick weather generates? Could you walk us through what sickness indicators are and the data harvesting process? So, so we have a product called Sick Score, yeah. and Sick Score is a whole different model that looks at the real-time data that informs those marketing campaigns, for example, to trigger an ad for, say, Theraflu or you know, Flonase in a, in a postal code based on uh, you know, how high the Sick Score is at that time. One criticism I've heard about apps that crowdsource information is that social media is used far more by people living in urban areas. Do you agree with this? And what demographics do you see um, using sick weather the most? Well, um, yeah, that, that is, I think that's largely true. Now, what's also true, though, is that population density tends to uh, also be an indicator of the spread of illness. So, you will often see these outbreaks occurring, at least starting in these urban core areas anyway. So uh, that's where our imputation model then really helps us understand what may be going on in other, say, residential areas outside of the city. How do you ensure the accuracy of symptoms that are reported on social media? Well, we validate against the clinical data or public health data that we can get our hands on, usually in a a sort of a looking back historic analysis. So it still takes the CDC here in the U.S. about two weeks to gather all their data. And actually, it takes them several months to what what they call backfill the data. Do you think the uses for the app have also evolved as the app has grown? Uh, That's a great question. We um, are often asked about, can we do more? Can we provide guidance to our users? Can we, you know, help them take an action of some sort? One of the things that we added to our app in the last year was a call doctor button that allows for you to sign up for a telemedicine appointment uh, with a doctor. So that is an action, for example, that we have that has evolved into the app over time. Uh, and then there are sort of symptom glossaries that we provide information about what the illness is and what a diagnosis or prognosis might be, um, similar to what you might get on WebMD, uh, but just for the illnesses that we track. Um, so that's another sort of dimension to that evolution, evolution over time. And finally, um, could we talk about the financing of sick weather and your bottom line? In the latest funding report, um, I read that sick weather raised $1,097,661 in equity crowdfunding. Um, could you tell us a little about your revenue and whether sick weather is profitable? Sure, yeah. I mean, we have raised total to date around $2.5 million. Yeah. That's that, that is since we came out to Kansas City for that accelerator program back in 2014. Um, that's general, I mean, generally speaking, that's not enough money for a company to have lasted that long. So we've also been generating revenue, and that revenue has increased consistently about 40% year over year since uh, 2015. Um, but we are entering a, a, an exponential growth phase where we expect to uh, double 
uh, or, or more our revenue and, and become profitable. So at the moment, no, we're not profitable yet. In fact, we're still raising more funding now as we speak. But the, um, that, that threshold should be cleared pretty soon, like within the next few months. Thank you for talking to us, Graham. I really appreciate it. The days of visiting with your doctor from home may seem like a remnant of America's past. However, our next guest is the CEO of a company that looks to use digital technology to rekindle this intimate doctor-patient relationship. So I spoke with Guy Friedman, co-founder and CEO of SteadyMD, a St. Louis-based telehealth startup that strives to bring back the old-school country doctor concept, but completely online. How does it work? Patients are matched with doctors based on their specific needs and then are able to text or video chat with their physician about their health on a regular basis. And we talked about how SteadyMD does its thing as well as the future of the telehealth industry. I started this company about two and a half years ago. I noticed a big hole uh, in primary care that continued to get exacerbated and and a big problem there, which was the ratio of patients to doctors was getting very high. So um, it's approaching 3,000. So let's say you have 3,000 patients for every one physician in primary care. Um, the physician's kind of forced to see 20 to 30 patients a day um, and spends about 50% of their time billing insurance in order to you know, get paid for those appointments. It kind of creates two problems. There's a problem of access, which is, shoot, I'm sick. I need to see a doctor right now. And there's a problem about a relationship um, where you can't really develop a long-term continuous relationship with a doctor when he doesn't have any time to dive in with you about your background, history, family, uh, et cetera. So the problem our company focuses on is that second problem, which is long-term continuous relationship with the same dedicated physician, uh, also with a limited panel. So he's able to develop a deeper understanding of his patient panel, and we don't bill insurance. So he has way more time to kind of dive in with his patients, as well as solve short-term and long-term problems without having to code it exactly in the EMR or make an appointment for every little thing. Our doctors can quickly solve problems if necessary, as well as track and monitor their patients over the long term. Okay, interesting. And uh, so the physicians that that are uh, connecting remotely with their patients, like how do you go about choosing or selecting uh, physicians for that for the program? Yeah, we have a rigorous recruiting process. Um, doctors in primary care, especially, are looking for different ways to innovate. Uh, the current model of just opening a private practice or working at a hospital and just uh, that, there's a lot of dissatisfaction around billing practices and having to code everything in the EMR exactly right in order for that to work. So we get a lot of inbound inquiries from doctors, and we just try and pick the best of the bunch who have great personalities and are able to connect emotionally with patients and obviously have a clinical expertise. Um, We focus a lot on lifestyle, so uh, fitness, diet, um, moms, you know, anything that someone cares about and wants a doctor to know intimately we try and find doctors that fit those categories. So let's say you're an avid runner and you run 100 miles a week. You can connect with one of our doctors who also runs 100 miles a week and runs marathons, and he'll know all the clinical stuff that's happening to your body for the long-term and short-term uh, issues, 
as well as be able to connect emotionally with the patient and develop a trust there that you just can't do in a normal primary care setting. Interesting. And do you perceive sort of like an increase in demand for this kind of service, just given like the lack of doctors in general? Yeah. No, I mean, the shortage of primary care physicians is not being solved right now in a scalable way. You have a low supply, which is doctors going into residency that want to do primary care uh, because the lifestyle isn't great. Uh, they want to go into primary care to develop relationships with patients and kind of be that community doctor or a doctor for a family. And then they're pushed into a system where they're kind of on a hamster wheel, where they're forced to see uh, patients at a very rapid clip. So I think the demand for things like our service will increase um, in, uh, on a macro level. We have a supply and demand issue, and it creates the problem that we, we try and solve. Interesting. Okay, let's let's move on to financing. Uh, in your last funding report, it shows that SteadyMD raised two point five million dollars since March of last year. Uh, what what is what have you invested that money in uh, this year, and what do you have for the, uh, on the horizon for the future? Um, I mean, we're growing a healthcare practice, so there's you know marketing, uh, staffing, you know paying our doctors, of course, um, and uh, technology. You know all the all the all the buckets you need, and of course, uh, legal and regulatory as well. Yeah, I mean, it's just, you know, it's, it's running a business and making sure that you're spending the resources effectively. Great. So I guess the, uh, the last question to sort of wrap it up is, like, where do you see this industry going in the future? Like, uh, how do you see it developing? Yeah, I think there's continued growth in the space. Um, the first kind of wave was these urgent care telemedicine providers, which you know, developed a pretty solid business in the employer space, um, as well as, you know, being a provider for hospitals and clinics to provide urgent care telemedicine to their uh, patients. And the next wave is kind of these um, well-funded pharmacy-specific telemedicine providers like HIMSS or Roman, uh, which provide a specific need around, uh, you know, various, uh, various health issues. And then we're on kind of the other side of the uh, pendulum with long-term continuous care um, versus just urgent care. So I think it's evolving. Uh, the model's kind of spreading out, and it will continue to. Excellent. Um, is there anything else you want to share about SteadyMD, um, anything at all? Yeah, absolutely. If anyone out there listening um, wants a doctor that has time for you, is aligned with your life, and... Um, we'll communicate with you through a fantastic, you know, communication platform and just be your doctor. Uh, we're waiting for you and happy to, happy to see anyone. For the past couple of years, the organization Global STL has hosted an invitation-only digital health summit in St. Louis to connect startups with the city's many healthcare companies and investors. How would you say that connects to today's show? The Global STL Health Innovation Summit is a reflection of the trend towards digital health we're looking at in this program. I spoke with founder Don Rubin about the healthcare industry's increased enthusiasm towards digital health, what it looks like now, and what it could look like in the future. I am here with Don Rubin, the president and CEO of BioSTL and the founder of Global STL. Don, thanks for joining the program. A pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. Awesome. So let's start at the basics. Can you give us a breakdown of Global STL and BioSTL, sort of their history and their mission statement? 
Well, sure. A BioSTL is sort of an umbrella organization that has been building the innovation economy in St. Louis since 2001, when it was observed that uh, many of the uh, 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 organizations, corporations, businesses that were driving our economy in the last century had consolidated and had really, um, we, were, we were changing and um, looking for what was going to be the driver of our economy for the 21st century. And we knew that we needed to build more of an infrastructure to support entrepreneurship and startups, particularly around St. Louis's strengths in uh, medicine, healthcare, and plant and agricultural sciences. Yes. And that's what Global STL is about. Yeah, so what sort of innovation have you seen, particularly in sort of healthcare industries, sort of healthcare companies, and how are they using technology, and how does the resources that St. Louis have allow for those type of innovations? Yeah, um, first of all, the kinds of innovations are just all over the board, and, and our focus really in terms of Global STL and attracting innovation has really been around digital health. So all of the areas that are developing across technology, even in non-healthcare areas, are converging with healthcare. So everything from big data, analytics, artificial intelligence and machine learning, uh, virtual reality, all the technologies that we see growing and, and getting better and better in, other, in, in uses in other parts of our economy are also converging in healthcare and making healthcare delivery more efficient, more cost-effective, uh, and making patient outcomes better. And so we're looking for technologies that can help move the needle for our health organizations in the St. Louis region. All of that together really makes us a powerhouse and really gives us more buying power when you think of the, the amount of healthcare dollars that, f- that flow through St. Louis. Uh, and the demand for innovation by these organizations, when you weave all that together, we really can be a magnet for global innovation in healthcare. Yeah, and how can healthcare startups use these technologies to increase accessibility for patients, whether it's accessibility to their healthcare provider, their doctor, or to their patient data and things like that using these type of technologies? As healthcare moves away from fee-for-service models where hospitals have traditionally benefited by filling beds and uh, increasing in-hospital services, uh, we're going to move more and more, as other countries have moved, toward uh, incentives to keep people out of the hospital, keep them healthy, uh, provide care in the home, provide care through your smartphone uh, and other mechanisms that empower patients to uh, take care of themselves, to access health care in a more cost-effective way. Uh, we're seeing technologies that are doing that. For example, um, uh, companies with uh, primary care doctors uh, run by artificial intelligence on your smartphone where patients can uh, uh, contact um, uh, through an app, uh, be triaged as to whether they need to get to an emergency room, whether they need to just take two aspirins and stay home, or whether there's something in between where they can um, be directed uh, real time through uh, through telemedicine, telehealth, with doctors uh, who can do a consult uh, or appointment can be made with a specialist, and patients can be directed to the right level of health care that matches their need. And, and that, for the system, is much more efficient and a better allocation of resources. 
Yeah, and it seems like there's so many healthcare apps and there's many digital first companies like you were saying that are sort of their whole business model is online. It's in the app. It's, you know, trying to, you know, be in the patient's home so they don't have to, you know, go to the emergency room if they don't need to. So, my question is, is the future of healthcare on your phone? Why or why not? Well, I think the phone will play a part. Um, the, there's no question that uh, uh, physicians and all the allied healthcare professionals will continue to play an important role. Um, but we've seen shortages of those professionals, particularly in certain geographies, uh, urban areas, rural areas, um, where uh, uh, individuals and communities have uh, uh, any, uh, unequal access to that kind of care. I think by adding technology, we can help to smooth out that, um, uh, that access, uh, that availability, so that, that everyone will have access to good care. In some cases, your phone's going to play an important role, at least as first, uh, as first level of access. We have seen companies, you know, we've been working with some real interesting innovation hubs around the world. Uh, Israel uh, is the first country we worked with at Global STL. They are a leader in digital health solutions, and their healthcare economy is where ours is going, where the, ince- the healthcare incentives are to keep people out of the hospital and to keep them healthy. So, and technology has enabled that transition in Israel. We've seen that in Ireland, we've seen that in the Netherlands, other places where we're working as well. Those are the kinds of ways that technology can complement and supplement the in-person uh, health care that's being provided by professionals, uh, not displacing it, but making uh, the information better and helping to make decisions better. Awesome. Thank you very much for joining the program. It was my pleasure. Thank you very much. Awesome. Have a great day. Now let's talk about important numbers and entrepreneurship news in this week's edition of Can I Get Your Digits? Let's start with Suman. Suman, can I get your digits? Sure. My digit is 29%. That's the automation potential for registered nurses, according to a new report by the Brookings Metropolitan Policy Program. That number estimates the risk that registered nursing jobs have of being automated by 2030. What about your digits, Elliot? My digit is $223.7 billion. That's how much the digital health market will be worth by 2023, according to market analysis by research group P&S Intelligence. Researchers say more smartphones and tablet users combined with a growing need for remote patient services will drive the market in the future. Joe, let me get them digits. All right, so my digits. My digits are $15.6 billion and $20 billion. $15 billion is how much the telehealth industry was valued at back in 2014, and is projected to reach $20 billion by this year. Did you know that over half of all hospitals in the U.S. have a telehealth program? I didn't know that, but that definitely reflects what we found, that not only is the future of healthcare digital, but it seems like its present is as well. Wow, that's pretty substantial. I know, right? Isn't that crazy? Okay, next we're checking out our date book for workshops, conferences, and other startup events around the state in the coming week. The Ewing Miriam Kaufman Foundation will host its 10th annual State of Entrepreneurship Address on Wednesday morning. After several years in Washington, the address this year will take place in Kansas City, where the Kaufman Foundation is based. The speech is expected to focus on how people can work together to grow stronger entrepreneurial communities. Thinking Bigger Business Media Incorporated will host its annual 25 Under 25 Small Business Awards Gala Saturday night in Kansas City. The awards look to celebrate small businesses with under 25 employees. 
More than 80% of businesses in the Kansas City area and nationwide have 19 or fewer employees. Thinking Bigger Media will highlight the contribution that small businesses make to KC's economy during this annual ceremony. The St. Louis County Library will host a free Women in Business networking lunch and panel discussion next Friday, March 1st, from noon to 4 p.m. Businesswomen can connect with colleagues during lunch and learn from experienced female business owners during the panel. Two info sessions on getting access to capital and using library resources to grow your business will follow the panel discussion. The library will also provide lunch and a headshot for participants. Let's close out our program about healthcare's digital future with a quote from Jonathan Linkus, a digital health entrepreneur and the former CEO of the American Telemedicine Association. He says, In an age where the average consumer manages nearly all aspects of life online, it's a no-brainer that healthcare should be just as convenient, accessible, and safe as online banking. That does it for this week's episode of Speaking Startup from Missouri Business Alert. For Suman Naishadam and Joe Cease, I'm Elliot Bowman. Speak to you next time.